0: Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Hey, there's just a couple announcements before we get into uh, worship stuff. And so the first thing is this, is, hey, if you uh, haven't seen the video of uh, our Jesus's birthday party, go find it on our Instagram pages, stuff like that. Our kids had a blast watching about a thousand balloons fall from the ceiling and and all of that sort of stuff. But there were tons of you that helped out with that. And so I want to say thank you very much, uh, helping making our celebration of Jesus's birthday amazing. And so good job to all of you who helped out. Uh, the next thing is this. Hey, our Candlelight Christmas Eve service is going to be at 5.30 Tuesday night. And so uh, just be putting that on your calendar. I There has been people who have asked whether it's going to be Candlelight. It is this year. And so uh, not the whole thing, of course, uh, because people will burn themselves. Um, but uh, a part of it, we'll, we'll have some fun with that. And so uh, Hey, invite everybody and anybody, we're going to be talking about um, comparing Jesus to uh, Santa Claus, uh, uh, Frosty the Snowman, and Jack Frost. And so it'll be kind of a fun night just to kind of look at that and a lot of great worship music and just to get us in the mood for uh, Christmas Day. Um, the next thing is, for those of you, is uh, you can be writing on your calendars. We're going to be taking a couple-week break from uh, all Kids Connect stuff, all youth group stuff, and Wednesday night dinners. And so we'll start back up on uh, January 8th for that. And so if you guys would please um, just mark your calendars. Hey, be back here January 8th, and we'll, we'll go bonkers for the new year um, We're really excited about the new year, some things coming up. We're going to be talking um, about looking at uh, uh, the sermon series called New Year, New You. And so uh, I know what that sounds like. It sounds like, uh, oh, wait, you're going to do just, it'll be fun, trust me. Uh, I, I have some cool... Props and fun things we're going to bring in for that. And the last announcement that I have, uh, actually, I'm sorry, I have two more announcements. Hey, if you don't have anything going on today, we could use your help in some bell ringing. Uh, actually, all the slots are empty. And so uh, it starts at one o'clock today, ringing the bell um, at Reynolds Market. And so, um, me and my family are going to take the first slot from one to two, but then if you just want to come and relieve us, um, you'll be great to do that. And so uh, I have that up here, but I'll be putting it in the back, and you guys can sign up on your, on your walk back, and you'll, you'll be okay. Um, I don't like you sitting here. Um, that was a little weird. That was a little awkward. I felt like someone is breathing in my ear. Uh, and that's how, like, focused, tunnel focus I get. I love you. <laughs> Uh, The last thing is this, is uh, would you please uh, continue to be praying for the Operation Christmas Child? As you know, a lot of those boxes are being delivered uh, this time of year, and so uh, please be praying for them. But we do have one thing we'd like you guys to partner with us. Um, We know that you guys are updating your calendars for the year 2020, and so all of your 2019 calendars, this is what we're asking. We're asking you to bring those calendars to us. There's some things that we would like to do, some different collages and different things like that, specifically for Operation Christmas Child. And so if you have those 2019 calendars still, would you please bring them in? If they go until March, you know, some of you are planning those 14-month calendars, just bring those calendars in and buy a 2020 and you'll be good, okay? Um, and uh, that is all the announcements I have today before we get into uh, Advent. Hello, hello. Do we know what mic that is, though?
1: Pam's.
0: Pam's mic. Hello. Hello. Hey. Yeah.
1: Merry Christmas almost, guys. Uh, I'm up. You're probably wondering why I'm up here. Uh, Can I have Seth, his family, Mickey, her family, and Olivia and their family up here, please? It's almost Christmas time. It's a good time uh, to thank all the pastors and staff. So... Yeah, we have wonder, a little something wonder, for you. I wonder
0: where Olivia is. All right. Someone's got to go run and get her.
1: She's a greeter. Uh, Richard came up to me and asked me to do this, or he, he asked me um, who should come up here, and I said, probably the guy who is the least best at talking in social settings in public. So I said, you know what, I'll go up there. So...
0: <laughs> oh, you have to stand by here. Okay. Oh yeah, you're one of you.
1: So, this is Oh wait, we got Liam coming here. Yeah, woo! Yeah, so, this is a little gift from the church everybody uh to the pastors and the staff. So, we just wanted to hand it out to you guys. and Y'all have done a great job this year. Y'all are awesome, and we love ya. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. And the families are awesome as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Merry Christmas. All right.
0: It's easy because we have an amazing church family. Uh, to be a part of, and we love all of you guys, and so thank you very much. Um, Every week, we ask that you guys would fill out the prayer cards and drop them in the offering plate as it goes by, and man, we absolutely have um, cherished those prayer cards as we get to kind of walk in life with you guys. And so if you uh, have anything that you would like to pray for, would you please just grab uh, that prayer card out of the seat back in front of you and drop it in the offering plate as it goes by uh, so that we can be praying for one another. And so would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, God, Christmas season is such a reminder of your goodness. That God, from the foundation of creation, you had already planned to send your son. That he would be the savior of the world, that he would be God with us, and that we we could have a right relationship with you, and that uh, we could lay everything down at your feet, and we could know that your way is good and that you are good, and that you have always been the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we can have faith, and we can have hope, and we can trust in you. Not only just for the forgiveness of our sins, but how to treat one another, and to, to love one another, and how to see that your kingdom is the best way to live. And so, God, in this Christmas season, in this moment, Lord, would we just realize that this is an amazing gift that all the gifts that we could give to one another and all the talents that we could even give to you and to your church pale in comparison to the gift of your son. And then Jesus Christ later on says that you want the Holy Spirit to come. And God, we love the fact that we can be filled with your Spirit, that um, you can be guiding us and directing us. And so, God, whatever situation we find ourselves in with the, the colds that we might have, the um, worries that we might have, the exhaustion, the stress, the, the health issues the heart issues that we have with our sin, Lord, I just pray that today we could lay them down at your feet and we could know that you are God and we are not. And so God, help us to worship you and help us to see your plan. And Lord, there's lots of prayers that, that need to go up in this room today. And so God, would you just hear them? And I, they don't even have to be spoken, Lord. You You know. I do You know, Lord, that... Uh, David surgeon is back in the hospital, and so, Lord, would you please be with him? God, we think about all the people that are traveling that have asked for traveling mercies. Lord, would they, would they see your beauty everywhere around them, and would they enjoy the company that they're with? And, God, would we see that your love reigns supreme above all else. We love you, Lord. In your holy name we pray, amen. For the past uh, couple weeks, we've been doing Advent together, and the week four of Advent is uh, all about love. And I know that you guys have read this chapter over and over again, but uh, it connects to uh, our sermon today talking about as Jesus comes, ultimately He is love. He is the light of the world. And so I want to read with you guys before I uh, light all four candles, John three sixteen through 21, and it says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact alone, that God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. That's what love does. It Later on says that love... uh, Love just expels all fear. When we're with Jesus, we don't have a fear of, we don't have to worry about fear of the future. It goes on to say, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. That's beautiful this Christmas season, and so would we today desire the light of Jesus Christ as we continue to worship Him? And so I'll ask the ushers to come forward, and we'll worship in singing. Thanks. Thanks. Children's Church, just right there in uh, the gym area, and Mickey will take care of you, so uh, head over that way. And for those of you who need to pick them up afterwards, you can pick them up in the same spot after church, and we'll be good to go. Uh, If you have your Bibles, why don't you flip open with me to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. But before I start with that, um, I, I just this has probably been something that I've wanted to tackle for a really long time, um, and as you look at it, you're going to go, oh, great, we're going to be looking at a bunch of names. And I know and I, I understand that there are those of you who, uh, when you can't get to sleep at night, you just open the book of Numbers and start reading names, and you fall asleep right away, and so it can be a little bit boring when you look at names. But if I were to say something like Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs... Tom Brady, Lee Harvey Oswald, Harriet Tubman, Cleopatra, Bonnie Parker, for some of you might know her best as Bonnie and Clyde, Ted Kaczynski, Michael Jordan, Ted Bundy, and maybe a lot of you know all those names, right? And you could go down the list. Some of them were really great people. Some of them were really horrible people. But you see, names matter. Names tell a story. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 1, I think that I really like to look at what do these names even possibly mean for us? When it comes to genealogies in the Bible, it tells a a story not only of just the history of what's going on, but it actually tells us a little bit more about what God is doing in the lives of people. You see, in Matthew's genealogy, it starts with the foundation of creation and ends with the birth of Christ. And so, because I am not really good at reading tons of names and I wouldn't make it sound that good, I'm going to have somebody sing it for us. And so, uh, hey, why don't we check this out before we get into these names? Here we go. <laughs>
2: Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar, Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram, then Amenadab, then Nashon, who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth she married Boaz who had Obed who had Jesse Jesse he had David who we know as king David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife Solomon well you all know him he had good old Rehoboam followed by Abijah who had Asa Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a Then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Ezer, who had Zadok, who had Akim. Akim was the father of Eliab then. He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. But listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ.
0: That was way better than I could have done, that's for sure, and way more fun. <laughs> Man, if you, uh, if you didn't notice, there was a couple things. Maybe you knew some of those names, maybe you didn't know some of those names. But one of the things that I came to in looking at this is why would Matthew share this genealogy? Why, why is this important in the grand scheme of the whole entire Bible that in the, between uh, the New Testament and Matthew starting, why would Matthew go, this is what's important? To start out his whole entire book. It wasn't that he all of a sudden goes into, well, I'm going to tell you the story about how Jesus came about or anything like that. No, he goes right away into the genealogy. Well, the first thing is this, is that uh, if you're going to write a uh, gospel about Jesus and say, Jesus is the Messiah, right away, all of the Jews around you are going to go prove it. Prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And the very first foundation of proving that is, hey, did he come from the line of David? Did he, is he pure blood? Does he have what it takes? Because it says in Isaiah, hey, that the Messiah, the, the Messiah is going to come through the lineage of David. And so right away, we see Matthew just go, here it is, laying out before you. So now that we've got that under control, let's move on to the other things. The other things are this, is that uh, I think that Matthew wants to show humanity in and of itself. And the, humanity, what I mean by that is that I think Matthew sees his own life as the tax collector that everybody hates, and Matthew goes, wait a second, I'm just like a lot of the people that are in Jesus' genealogy. And so not only does this genealogy show maybe the fact that, man, this is God's plan all along, that this is the Messiah, that he's come through pure blood, but that, man, it shows the the horribleness of humanity. And then I think the third thing that this genealogy does is goes, hey, this is proof for Jesus, now just let's look at who he is. There's a couple other interesting things that kind of happen along with this, is that you see a few things in this genealogy that aren't normal in any other genealogies. This is one of the first genealogies that names women in it. And in fact, actually, those three women, if you look at some of their, uh, some of their lives, they're pretty colorful lives. I mean... If you looked at some of the, well, I'll just go on, like you even look at just the mention of Bathsheba, right? Like I love the video when like Uzziah's there, right? And then all of a sudden the arrow gets shot at Uzziah and he falls off. Hey, David killed somebody, y'all, right? Like that's, you know that right away. And so in the, uh, kind of the, Love of Christmas and wanting to take on some of these names, I decided to look at going. Okay, well, who in these list is maybe who of these guys are really good guys, and who of them are probably pretty naughty guys. And so, what we did as a um, as a group of uh, my preaching team, we just went through all of those names and we said, okay. First of all, let's just see if we can find out anything about any of these people, right? There are some of them where we just don't know anything about. We just know that hey, they were king once, or hey, they lived once, or yep, that's their name. And so uh, we picked out 24 names for for us to go through this morning, and so we're going to look at each and every one of those. And I'm just going to let you know that if you're sitting here and you're going, wait a second, the playoffs are happening. Let's move on. Okay, so these 24 names right now, I've, I've I've decided that I was going to give myself between 45 seconds to a minute on each name, not because I'm worried about the playoffs, but because that's a lot of names, okay? And so we're going to go through each and every one of them. And if you have your notes in front of you, this is all the notes you're going to have to take today, okay? You're just going to mark off whether we think that they are naughty or nice, Okay? Whether they would get the present under the tree, uh, if you will, from their lives. And so uh, I added a couple names to this because I felt that we should really go from, uh, from the creation and uh, right away from the creation all the way to Jesus. And so the very first person we're going to start with is Adam. And here we go. So I just want to let you know that you guys should really thank Olivia because these are all original drawings for us, and so Olivia spent the time drawing all 24, uh, 24 for us, and so we're, we're going we're gonna to go through. Hey, Adam, great. First thing, he was the first man God made him, lived in Eden, named animals. He was a friend with God, got to walk with God every single night. And he got to walk around naked all the time. That's a pretty fun thing to do. But here's the deal. This is where it all starts. Where Adam fell short was, is he ate the forbidden fruit. He decided that he wanted to be God. And so the fruit that's offered to him, knowing full well that he shouldn't be eating this fruit because God has commanded him, please don't eat this fruit, he eats it. And what's the very first thing that he does when he eats the fruit? And God says, hey, what have you done? He goes, the woman you put in the garden with me, she fed it to me, so I ate it. I'll move on. <clears throat> I, just, I just think that's interesting. Interesting. Think of all the fights that you've gotten with in your wife, and you've just been like, it's really your fault, right? I can think of a lot of them. The next one Noah. He built a smallish boat at the age of around 500. It only took him 120 years to build it, he lived for a total of 950 years. And God called him actually in those years to be a person who would kind of walk with him. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally forgot the last slide. Here we go. Of Adam. Go back. Sorry. There we go. Hey, I deem him as naughty. Okay? I'm just going to tell you right there. I, I forgot the second slide. I'm just moving on. Let's go back to Noah now. God called him out to be one of the only voices of reasoning in his time to say, hey, would you point people to, to me over and over again, that there are commands that to follow and that you need to live righteously. And he was one of the only righteous men, righteous men living. And right after he gets out of the ark, he ends up building uh, an altar to sacrifice to God and said, hey, God, you are worth it. You have carried me through all of these things. And right after the sacrifice, guess what happens? He gets intoxicated and shamefully exposes himself in his tent and causes actually one of his uh, sons to kind of not respect him enough. And so he ends up actually sending his son out where he, well, actually, yeah, he kicks his son out of his stuff. And so, man, naughty or nice, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put naughty on that one, Okay. Like he's not self-controlled. He's, he's not watching what he's doing. And the instant that he thinks everything is okay, he just goes for the gusto. And there are some of you in here who goes, oh, well, maybe wine wasn't involved. No, we're not going there. The Bible says, hey, be a sober mind at all times. And so uh, I would say that this puts him on the naughty list for, for that time because his actions cause ramifications for a long time. Next person we have is Abraham, and this is actually where Luke starts with his stuff. And so Abraham is this right here. Left his father and mother to a land promised by God. He's the father of a promise to be a great nation. And so God calls him out and says, I'm going to take you to this land that I will show you, and you're going to be a father of a great nation, and so would you just please continue to walk with me? And Abraham says, sure, I'll go to it. And so... uh, Lo and behold, time goes on. Lots of things happen where uh, God doesn't do the things that, um, uh, that Abraham thinks he should be doing in the right timeline. And so Abraham takes some of his things into his own hands, but we'll get to that in just a second. But eventually, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son and follow God and was considered righteous later on. But here's the deal. Where he falls short is that he lied and oftentimes gave up his wife so that he could save his own life. Every time he goes into other kingdoms as he's passing through, he just goes, oh, no, this is my sister. Right? And then things happen to the kings of the time, and they just like, well, wait a second. This is your wife. You've caused bad things to happen. And so he just willingly says, hey, here, here you go. And the last thing is I put on there is he slept with his concubine so that he might have an heir. He finally looks at it, and one of his concubines, his wife, convinces him, hey, you're not having a child. We're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the father of a great nation, so why don't you just go ahead and circumvent what God is trying to do? Go ahead and sleep with your concubine so that we can have an heir. And that's when Ishmael is born, and eventually Ishmael gets kicked out of the family, even though he does, uh, God does kind of uh, make him a great nation as well. But we find out that, hey, not through that line is... is um, is the Messiah coming. He circumvents God's timeline for his own timeline. And so, is Abraham naughty or nice? Mm, naughty. There we go. Great. Moving on to the next one, Isaac. Isaac is the son, is the son of Abraham, the heir to uh, Abraham's promise. And so, God also promises to Isaac, that, hey, he will become a great nation, and through him, lots of people are uh, going to be blessed. I find this interesting, one of the things that I think is a great skill of Isaac, or not so much a skill, but a good trait of Isaac was, he was obedient to his father. In fact, actually, if you read the story and when his father was going to go sacrifice him, he's the one that's carrying the wood, he's the one that's walking up, he's the one asking his dad all these questions, and in fact, actually, he allows his dad to tie him up and lay him across the wood before he's killed. Talking about an obedient son, right, Noah? (laughs) All right, Great. Where did he fall short, though? Does the exact same thing as his father does. He doesn't cr- trust God's divine protection and lies once again about his, be- his wife being a sister. And so kind of gives her away over and over again. He go into way more details, but I-, I just, I think that this is interesting is, once again, he doesn't trust that God is going to carry him through even when he has met with God. And so, do I put Isaac on the naughty or nice list? I would put Isaac on the naughty list. Yep. Who gives up their wife? Call his sister. Come on now. Okay, great. Moving on. The next one is Jacob. Jacob. One of the things that I think is pretty great about Jacob is if you've read any of his story, he was an incredible shepherd. He knew what he was doing when it was coming to building his herd and uh, farming and all of that sort of stuff. If you want to see how he was bamboozled by his father-in-law, all that sort of stuff, you can see. Uh, one of the things that I also think is a great thing about him is you can tell his perseverance. First, he uh, worked seven years to marry this person, and he ends up being uh, marrying the wrong gal, and so he works seven more years, right? So 14 years just having perseverance for uh, getting what he thought he wanted. And so he gets all of that sort of stuff, he moves away, and he becomes actually quite, uh, quite the, the entourage that he takes back home with him becomes quite large. One of the downfalls about him, though, is that he deceives his father and blackmails his brother for the firstborn rights. But it's interesting that one of his good traits is is that he comes back and later on reconciles himself to his brother after he's bamboozled him out of all of all of his firstborn rights. But because he deceived his father, the lineage goes through him and not through his brother, even though they're reconciled. And in fact, actually, Jacob, because of some of the things that he was trying to do that he thought he could do it all all on his own, he ends up wrestling with God for a night. And so there you see his hip is kind of out and different things like that after he wrestles with God. And he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Hey still pretty good. Twelve tribes of Israel comes out of him. So, is he naughty or nice? I think if you look at the totality of his life, I think he's naughty. I think he's pretty naughty. Moving on to uh, the first woman mentioned in, uh, in this whole entire Scripture, and this is interesting. This story is phenomenal, by the way. Uh, Tamar, Okay, uh, what happens is, is Tamar marries a son of uh, of a guy by the name of Judah. Okay, and so she marries this son of Judah, and the son ends up dying. Okay, and so in this culture, it's called a king, kinsman redeemer. She has not had a child yet or anything like that. So guess what? She gets right to the rights to marry the next son. Okay, so she marries that son, and guess what happens? He dies without giving her a child. And so he goes to, she goes to marry the next one and he dies. And so she goes to Judah and says, hey, you need to give me uh, another husband because I have not given birth. And Judah says, hey, you can have my youngest son. And when he grows up to be a man, then you can have him. And so time comes on and, and comes about and he's old enough to marry and Judah doesn't give him to her to Tamar to be his hus- to be her husband. So what does Tamar do? Tamar decides that she's going to become a prostitute, uh, and so she goes to the to the area, the well where Judah usually hangs out. And so she becomes a prostitute and disguises herself and ends up sleeping with Judah. And so Judah says, "Well, what would you like that you could that you would like for this?" And so she said, "Well, sorry." He said, "I will send you a sheep." And she says, "I don't I don't know if I trust you. So will you give me something of yours that will know that you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do?" And so he ends up giving her uh, a belt, a staff, and a signet ring, right? So the three things that are sitting up there. And so it ends up being that Tamar gets pregnant right? So this one encounter with Judah, she gets pregnant, and everybody sits there and goes, you're not married. How could you be pregnant? And Judah sees a way out to not give his son, she, she a teal, to her. And so what does he do? He sits there and goes, hey, you've been suspect. You are now pregnant with somebody else's um, with, with somebody else's uh, child, and so you don't get to marry. And so she ends up taking the three things that uh, Judas gives her and sends it to her and says, this is the guy who's my, my baby daddy. And Judah goes, oh, <laughs> okay. So then we get two sons out of Tamar, for, uh, for the genealogy. Tamar. Naughty or nice? Man, yeah. Why? I'm just joking. I, here's the reason why I think she's naughty. I think she's naughty because she, once again, doesn't trust God. I don't know if it's so much about the sin as it is about going, God said, hey, I'll take care of you. And she took action into her own hands, just like Isaac, Jacob, Tamar. Which brings us to the next woman of the scripture, which is Rahab. And if I was to say, Rahab the, everybody would finish it, right? We've heard this story all over the times, right? Once again, like, I'm not going to say it, but she becomes, she's got a couple characteristics. The couple things that I think is pretty interesting is this, is is that she's the mother of Boaz, which we're going to talk about Boaz in a little bit, but just to give you context, this is really cool to me. She's the mother of Boaz, the great-grandmother of King David. Whoa, okay? So just be thinking about that a little bit. She housed spies and helped Israel seize Jericho, okay? And so what happens is uh, they... uh, the spies come into her house. She houses them and tells them, hey, this is how you're going to uh, conquer this city. And so um, so she lets them down by a rope to get out so that they are freed because they had heard that there were spies in their city. And so she helps them out for exchange that God would save her whole entire family, okay? And so... Uh, And so when they came to go uh, destroy the city, she was saved. Her whole entire family was saved. And interesting fact, Rahab was not married at this time, okay? And so Rahab is not married. She is a prostitute, right? And so that's how these spies kind of uh, get into her house because uh, they can find safety here. And so Rahab is smart and she's cunning and she goes, hey, would you just please save us when you come to destroy this city, I want to tell you one thing is Rahab was not, I I didn't know where to put this on there, but Rahab is not a Jew. She uh, She is not a part of the lineage of the promised people. And so, There's a mark against her for one, which is really interesting, right? But I'll I'll talk about that in in a little bit. And so Rahab, the prostitute, naughty or nice, naughty. I think that her whole entire point is, is that she wants to trust God, but she does everything she can to put God and make God work for her. We go on to the next one, in the line, and this is Boaz. Now, Boaz is interesting because Boaz's mom is Rahab, and so how does this all work? Well, anyway, she ends up being saved, and she uh, being saved from uh, the destruction of the city, and she ends up marrying a Jewish guy, and so she now has Boaz, and now Boaz is in the lineage of. Uh, of the Jewish culture. And so, what happens is, is We don't know a lot about uh, about Boaz and and this is really interesting to me. When I looked at a guy, I was like, man, if I could be one guy, Boaz would be the kind of guy that I'd want to be, right? You hear the whole entire story of Ruth and this is where we see him at. Uh, He's a man of great standing and character. Everybody loves him. His people who work for him love him. They think he's a great guy. Uh, He's a great leader, a great boss. He's always looking to bless others. Um, If you read the story of Ruth, he kind of tells his worker's, hey, just leave some grain on the field as you go by because we need to let people help us. And so when, uh, we need to let people help themselves. And so actually he would do that quite often. He would just say, hey, would you leave grain so that these people can come up and get food for themselves? And so he provided well for his wife. He spoke kindly of Ruth uh, and he was just kind hearted. In fact, actually he would say this, he refused to embarrass her or allow others to embarrass her in front of others. And he even went to protecting her as much as he possibly could because gleaning stuff off the field wasn't the safest for uh, some of the women to do. And so he also looked to protect her. And so falling short is what I wrote here. I wrote, Boaz seemed on the outside to be something perfect, but we understand that no one is perfect. In fact, actually, he could even look back at his own life and go or look back at some of the things that marked where he came from and he could understand that nothing is perfect. He still needs a savior. And so, is Boaz naughty or nice? I have to put Boaz on the naughty list. I know some of you guys are like, come on, man, if you want to be like him, why would you put him on the naughty list? The next thing is Ruth. And Ruth is the next person, the one of four women, uh, actually, the one of five women in uh, in this genealogy. And Ruth, once again, also is not Jewish. She's a Moabite, and if you look back at all of the Moabite things, Moabites were not considered to be kind people. Moabites in a lot of uh, history says that, uh, man, they, they weren't kind to other uh, kingdoms that came in. They refused to do things, and even, even the fact that they, there was a huge contention between the Jewish culture and the Moabite people. But one of the things that is a characteristic of Ruth is that she was incredibly loyal to her mother-in-law, who, by the way, was a Jew. She had lots of kindness. And I wrote down here, I said, what is her short falls or her falling short is this. She wasn't a Jew. And I will tell you something that is interesting that as you read some of the book of Ruth, what happens is... is, uh, they believe that Ruth, she converted to Judaism just to marry. But when she actually ended up marrying Boaz, so sorry, I'll back up. Ruth and her first husband, her first husband dies, and her, the father dies, and her brother-in-law all die, leaving Naomi, her and her sister-in-law to kind of fend for themselves. And so they are without children. They've kind of got to go back to their families, and, um, and Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi, and so then they end up moving. And so what I'm talking about wasn't Jewish. It looks like she, can, she remained to be everything she possibly could Moabite, and do the things, uh, do their pagan cultural things. But she was willing to be Jewish just so that she could marry her husband. And so her husband ends up dying. And it wasn't until Boaz, until Boaz kind of uh, shows her what it means to follow God truly, that she goes, this is what I want for my life. And so Ruth... um, Ruth, I'm going to put on the naughty list, only because I think she used, once again, used God to get what she wanted, used the Jewish culture to get, what she want, or to get what she wanted, and then later on finally realized that maybe God is the right way to go. Man, it feels like we're talking, we're slamming women here, but the last one, I guarantee it, well, actually there's Mary, but we'll talk about her. Bathsheba is the next one. Some things, some characteristics that I found out by Bathsheba that was pretty awesome is uh, she was actually very uh, ambitious and strong-willed. Um, in fact, actually, her husband, Uzziah, was one of the top warriors in David's army. Uh, he would have been considered one of the top 30 warriors in David's army. And so David and Uzziah were, were really good, good friends. Uh, they had been fighting together. They... Uh, if you wanted it to look like this way, I read. I read one thing that said that Uzziah was a samurai in uh, the equivalent of a samurai in David's time. He was incredibly loyal. Um, they had, they were great warriors. And so, if if Bathsheba's going to marry him, man, she is incredibly ambitious. She's strong-willed, right? She knows what's going on. She knows what it takes to be married to this guy. Uzziah. I mean, I could go on to lots of other things, um, but right away I think the one thing that I'm going to say is this, is that um, her falling short, and you can read it right there, you would think that I would say her falling short was sleeping with David, but no, uh, her falling short was is that in a palace coup, Bathsheba and her advisor Nathan maneuvered to secure the throne for Solomon. In fact, actually, she used the guilt against David to be able to say, hey, um, Absalom, your son shouldn't be, shouldn't be king, my son should be king, and so if you want to do this for me, this is, this is what you're going to do. For me, if you love me, you will uh, make David, or you will make Solomon the next heir, even though the brother was way more popular than Solomon was. But then it goes on to uh, to say in the rest of her story that she actually conspired with Solomon to kill Absalom. Some things you might not have heard about Bathsheba. And one of the only reasons why I think that she wanted her son Solomon to be king is because she got to take the place of being what's called the queen mother. And so it was a high place in, in the, the courts of uh, of the kingdom in which she got to sit over all of the proceedings and actually help make, uh, help make decisions for the kingdom. And so I think the reason why that she wanted that is because she could have that prestigious position. Once again, she's ambitious and she was strong-willed. Is Bathsheba naughty or nice? Definitely naughty. Great. Let's talk about King David. Here we go. King David A man after God's own heart trusted God to help him kill Goliath. He was a great warrior in general. He had many men following. He even brought the Ark of the Covenant to the tabernacle to Jerusalem. Like this was was a great thing for him to start moving into this and doing all of these things. But here's the deal. He slept with his friend's wife Bathsheba and later on she became pregnant and to cover it up, he ended up killing him. Naughty. Great. Moving on. King Solomon. Next one. When told that he could have anything he asked for from God, he asked for wisdom. What a great thing to ask. God, I just want wisdom. He increased Israel's kingdom further than any king ever would before or after. Incredibly large kingdom. He was very wise in all of his dealings, and he actually brought a lot of peace to Israel. There wasn't a lot of war during this time. And he even writes in a book that he thinks that this whole life is entirely vanity, except for following God. Sounds like a great guy. Incredibly wise, understands the meaning of life, can look at things um, in a different way. But one of the things that he falls short is he was accused of loving the things of this world. And especially he was willing to search other religions and uh, allow some of their kind of ways to get involved in the kingdom. And plus he had over a thousand wives to come home to. Yeah, okay, great. Naughty or nice. Thank you. <laughs> there were so many things, so many jokes I wanted to say, but I skipped it. The next one is this, is we are going to talk about the eight kings, okay? Rehoboam, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Great. And so there's not a lot that is un there's not a lot with them that is known uh, about their good traits. Some of them could could uh, say their good traits, but I'm going to tell you where I think all of them fell short. Okay, you ready? Asa falls short because he didn't trust God and made a deal using the temple gold to secure war. Also, got sick and sought physicians instead of God. Jehoshaphat, actually, not a bad king but knew he needed God at every corner. In fact, actually, what happens with Jehoshaphat is, uh, is he realizes that, hey, they've gone astray and they need to come back. But one of the things that he keeps on saying over and over again is we are doomed without God. We need his presence always. And so the only reason why uh, he's on the falling short list is because he knows that he needs God. Jehoram, he killed his own brother after his father died and slipped into adulterous ways. He killed his own brother just so that he could be king. And he only did it after his father died because he was trying to make his father happy. King Uzziah, the more his kingdom became great, the more pride he had and he determined to enter the temple. And so he becomes this amazing kingdom and he decides that he's going to walk into the temple and burn incense which was reserved for the high priest and l- literally the high priest gets like 40 other council members together and goes into the temple and says don't do this don't do this this is against god god does not want you to do this and he goes look at the great kingdom i've built i deserve to be able to burn incense to god and that day god struck him with leprosy and he continued to have leprosy for the rest of his life till he died king jotham he allowed the people to continue to sacrifice to pagan gods, and corruption began to take place. He just kind of said, hey, you do you, all do, do me, but that's okay. And corruption started becoming rampant in his kingdom. And King Ahaz, the reason why he fell short is he was unwilling to follow the prophet Isaiah's advice to ask for a sign. So, so here's what happens. He's going to go into, uh, he's going to go into battle and Isaiah says, hey, God told me that you are going to be okay in this battle. Just trust him. But God is asking you to, uh, maybe put out like a fleece, if you will, to, to see that God is with you. And he refuses to do this. And he says, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do because, uh, I just, I, I, I don't want to. And so, um, he goes into war and he actually, uh, th- they do win. But after a long, long time because he ends up having to ask for other allies to help him. He becomes into treaties. He begins to even like uh, for these treaties, he begins to dismantle the vessels um, of the temple and kind of give it away just so he can pay for his allies with other people. And because it didn't go the way that he wanted to, he began actually setting up other uh, altars and burned incense to other gods. And King Hezekiah, uh, next one is this, or the last one is this, is that he showed off to the Babylonian ambassador the wealth of the temple. And so his kingdom becomes so great, actually, he's doing really well, that uh, this Babylonian ambassador wants to actually ally with them against a, a worse king. And so he says... He brings him to the temple and he says, look at the vast amount of riches we have because we've done so great. Once again, trusting on his wealth and not on God. And so the eight kings are all naughty, every single one of them. And then we get to King Manasseh, Talk about an interesting character. Uh, you can read quite, quite a bit of stuff about this, but he becomes king when he's 12 years old. He's the longest reigning king of all of the kings prior to him. He reigns for 55 years. Um, I should say these are the kings of Judah, uh, not of Jerusalem. That's a different genealogy that I'll maybe tackle later on. But uh, he reigns for 55 years. He's actually the most pagan king out of all the kings. He, there's, uh, his, his king uh, before him, Hezekiah, which I did tell you that um, he was naughty, but um, his father, Hezekiah, started actually setting up a, a lot of great things for the kingdom to follow God, and yet he kind of destroys all of them. And in fact, actually, to set himself different than his father, Hezekiah, he actually starts uh, persecuting all of his father's counsel starts killing them off one by one, telling them that they don't need to uh, tell him to follow God and do all these things. And so he starts allowing other things to happen over and over again. He defiles the temple. And so <clears throat> King Manasseh, very interesting story. Go and read it. Uh, it's, it's all in First and Second Kings, or sorry, I'm sorry, it's in Second Kings 20. And 21, and so for him, naughty. And the last one, I just love this king, King Josiah. And if you've heard anything about King Josiah, he's a really cool kid. He becomes king at eight years old. Uh, he's the grandson of Manasseh, and he uh, uses he realizes that they need to kind of set the temple back up again and bring it to its former glory because. King Manasseh actually locked all the temples so that nobody could get into the temple and actually do what they needed to do. And so when they were cleaning out the temple, they find these book of the law, right? This book of the law. And he realizes that Israel has been doing horrible and not following God. And so he tells them, we need to start following God again. And so the whole kingdom turns around and starts following God. It's falling short. The first thing that, it, that falling short is that uh, he knew his own sin and need for God. When he, f- when he sees the truth, he realizes that he is not doing what God is asking him to do. And the next one is this, is that at the very end of his life, he actually doesn't listen to God's commands and went into battle anyway. They told him not to go into battle. And in this battle, he lost his life because of it. And so King Josiah, naughty. The next guy I want to talk about is stepdad Joseph. Stepdad Joseph actually was a righteous man. And when I say stepdad Joseph, I am talking about the stepdad of Jesus himself, right? I I just like to think of him as stepdad. Because he wasn't his real dad, by the way, if you didn't know that, And uh, the next one is this: is that I really like his character, that he cared for Mary and thought much not to disgrace, de- not to disgrace her. He thought, "Hey, when I found out that she was uh, pregnant, I'm just going to be quiet, quietly just let her go, so I'm not going to make her look bad or anything like that." Stepdad Joseph seems to be like a really cool guy. Where he falls short, if you read some of his life, he loses his own son. Right, he leaves Jerusalem after being there for a while and realizes, I don't know where my son is. Right, so they have to go back to Jerusalem. And uh, and this one's kind of a funny one. I know I'm pulling at strings here, but I think Joseph is naughty because he lost the son of God. <laughs> right, he he knows it's God's son and he loses him. All right, so uh, stepdad Joseph, uh, I'm going to put on the naughty list. And then there is the last woman on the list, which is Virgin Mary. She was the young gal who found favor with God. She was humble and she said, I'll be your servant, whatever you want to do. One area she falls short in is, is that even though she knows God's promise that he is going to save the people from their sins and that he was to be God's mouthpiece and that he was going to be Messiah God with us because she was supposed to name him Jesus, God with us. She wanted to hold on to Jesus too much and not allow him to follow God's calling. In fact, actually, there's many stories in which she, in, in which she says, hey, just calm down. Don't do this. In fact, actually, Jesus is preaching in a home one day, and she and, her bro- she and Jesus' brothers are standing outside going, get Jesus now. This is crazy. He needs to stop doing what he's doing. He's acting like a wild man. We don't understand. He is messed up. Jesus that day even denied his family. And so even when Mary knew everything that was supposed to be going on with Jesus, she still doesn't allow him to do what he's called to do. And so I'm going to put her on the naughty list. And the last person that's on this list is Jesus the Messiah. I don't know, we'll see. I'm <laughs> okay. Uh, Jesus the Messiah I'm going to leave that up there for a little bit I didn't, I didn't put any huge characteristics on there because I th- hopefully a lot of you know some of it but this is what's interesting to me and I've told you guys this over and over again that if we look back at our genealogies if we even look back at our own lives and think about things Man, we come from pretty messed up places, don't we? And I know you guys have heard me say this before over and over again, but if, you, if I was to look at my own genealogy, there's something of a riddle in my life is that, um, is, if you didn't know this, but uh, my mom and dad are my aunt and uncle and my brothers are my cousins, it's completely true. If you're sitting there, go, no, there's no incest going on. Um, I am not adopted, but here's the deal. Uh, my parents were married for six years, and my dad's dad was a pastor of a church, and my mom's mom was the pianist of the church, and they decided to get together. And so they ended up divorcing each other, and they got married. And so my parents, after being married for six years, became stepbrother and stepsister, Right? Which by becoming stepbrother and stepsister makes them my aunt and uncle, right? Because that's how it works, right? And my brothers are, become my cousins right away, which is totally fun to do when you're in school. Hey, your brother's John. No, that's my cousin. Anyway, uh, especially when I didn't like him at that time. But um, we can look back at all these things and we can go, wait a second. Man, our lives are riddled with sinfulness all over the place. We can look back at Jesus' genealogy and go, oh my goodness, look at the darkness that's in that. We already read this morning that the light came into the darkness. That the light came into a world that literally was condemned. That the whole point of Jesus coming was to save people from their sins. That He would be Emmanuel, God with us. You see, I think this, in, this genealogy isn't just some fun thing to do to prove something. I think it's an invitation for you and I today. That we would actually look at the present of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I'll let you put the nice on there for me. It's just not, it's not how I want to describe Jesus as, oh, well, he's nice. Oh, isn't that neat? <laughs> but here's what I love about this genealogy. It's an invitation, once again, for us to look at God's plan, his perfect plan for us. That over, man, years and years of time, God's plan was to bring the Messiah into our lives, that He knew that everybody was on the naughty list. That everybody needed Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That sure we could do some good things in our lives, but they were nothing compared to the goodness of God. Matthew twelve twenty one says this. It says that, and His name. Uh, you can pull it up for me if you want to. Sorry. But later on in Matthew, as as he pulls it up here, it says, and his name will be the hope of all the world. So if you even looked at Advent and we've been going through joy, and we've been going through peace and we've been going through love and going through hope, Jesus is every single one of those. That he's the hope for all of the world. That he's the joy. In, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verses, starting in verse 10, it says, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angels." The angel was joined by a vast of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. You go on once again back to John three sixteen when we talk about, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that they wouldn't be condemned, but that actually they would be able to see the light. So the reason for this genealogy is to push us towards looking at the life of Jesus Christ that as he gets done with saying hey i want to prove to you that jesus has a pure bloodline and that i want to also prove to you that humanity needs a savior look at all of these horrible people in fact jews and un, in fact jews and gentiles alike all need christ it's in this genealogy And the fact that the sinfulness of man doesn't deter God's good plan. And so, when we look at Christmas, I hope that we can look at this genealogy and go, thank goodness for Jesus Christ, because we would be absolutely doomed. Just look at your own genealogy in your life. Could it be a point in time where you can look back at your own genealogy of life and go, today is the day that I'm going to say, no, I want Christ to be everything in our family. And so we are going to choose to follow Christ. Maybe there's some points in our lives right now where we've simply gone, I'm okay, I'm pretty good, I'm a pretty good person. Or there's some of us that have been in this room that go, man, you don't understand. I am horrible. And Matthew just proves with us that, guess what, you're not as horrible as you think you are. Look at all of these people that Jesus came to save, people who were murderers, people who, were, who sold their bodies for, for a lie. People who were trying to do everything they could to become better than they, when they really were, they, they schemed and they tried to do everything to get ahead. And Jesus, the light of the world comes and says, it's not about that anymore. It's about the kingdom of God and living with and for him. I'm going to ask some uh, Logan and Breezy to come up and they're going to sing a song called um, Light of the World. And as they sing this song, I I want you guys to think about this. I I want you to think about how you've allowed this light to enter into your life. Have you loved darkness? Maybe you're here going, man, I've, I've been following Jesus forever. But man, in this moment, I see how he is trying to change the direction and the course of this world. Maybe at this moment, you've never really actually said, God, maybe, maybe you're a lot like Ruth that has said, hey, this is maybe a good thing, but haven't fully dove into it. And so spend the time thinking about how you would love God to bring light into your world. They give you enough time? No, I the paper. Oh, well, there you go. That's all right. And then when they're done, I'll come up and I will close us. <laughs>
3: Amen.
0: See, that's the whole point is that the whole genealogy points to the need for Emmanuel, the need for a Savior, a need for us to be redeemed, to be whole again, and that's what Jesus Christ does for us, especially this season. And so I hope that you would look at Jesus as a present As a gift to you that you not just open, but you get to explore, that it is an invitation for us to dive into who He is and what He is for our life, and the fact that He gives us new commands. He teaches us how to live. And if you haven't done that work, would you do that this morning? Would you invite God into your lives, to, into your life to say, man, you are the light of my world? And for those of you who have maybe lost your way a little bit, would you trust that God is taking care of you no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you find yourself in, in deep tribulation to exhaustion to elation, all of those things, that God is with you? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That we could be welcomed into your kingdom because of him. That God, that all the things that go on in our lives, the the sinfulness that we have, every single one of us in this room is on the naughty list. And we need your son, Jesus Christ. To come and to redeem us, to cover us, to make us whole again, to fill the gaps in our hearts that are are longing for you. So God, may we find it in your son, Jesus Christ, and would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we walk out of this room today and that we are exclaiming that we are sharing it at the top of the mountains, that Jesus Christ is born. And that he is the hope, he is our joy, he is our peace, and he is the love of the world. In your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen. Hey, thank you very much. We love you all. We'll see you all Tuesday night at 5.30. And if you still want to help out with bell ringing, you can uh, help me out by signing out the entryway as you leave. Thanks. Love you all. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.